This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline podcast. I'm Jim Callis. Jonathan Mayo and I will talk prospects for the next few minutes. Jordan Schusterman, our usual host, is is on assignment and not available this week, so it'll just be Jonathan and I uh, winging it. And uh, as we record this, I just got back yesterday from 10 days in Florida. And, and Jonathan, I believe you're you're actually on the road driving from where, Yankees camp to where is your next stop uh, in Florida? My next stop will be Orioles camp in Sarasota. And uh, I decided to hit the road a little early because uh, Yankees camp is kind of insane. And there's literally no place to sit in the press box on the big league side. And I had to get, I have to get my Yankees uh, spring training report done. So here I am coming to you from I-275 South as we, as we record. Yeah, and we, we just, we did not, we were both so busy. We did not uh, even uh, see each other when uh, you flew in and I was uh, busy wrapping up uh, my final day in Clearwater. But uh, no, I know what you mean. I mean, the, the nice thing about going to spring training now as opposed to when we were in Arizona very early, is there are minor league games. Uh, you can actually go watch players uh, in action. You know, when, when I was in Arizona, February 20th, I think was my first day, we were, we were a few weeks, or a couple weeks at least, from, from actually seeing minor leaguers in games. Have you been able, I know you've only been down in Florida, I think, for a couple of days now, Jonathan, but have you been able to see any backfield action uh, the, the couple of days you've been there? No. No, I've been, uh, I mean, it was two camps, uh, Blue Jays and Yankees, and one of the disadvantages of both those camps is that the minor league facility and the big league facility are not adjacent to each other. Um, you know, a, a lot of facilities, especially in, uh, in Arizona, they're right next to each other. So you could go do run over to the major league side so we can do uh, our MLB network segments that we've been doing as part of the 30 clubs in 30 days reports. Uh, and then easily go back to see minor league games. Uh, but the, the Blue Jays facility, minor league facility is you know, a good 10 minutes away. Um, I, I, did, I did watch the, the big league game yesterday, and, the, and there were a number of prospects, both for the Blue Jays and the, and the Tigers. Uh, Parker Meadows, Austin Meadows' younger brother, actually got some big league game action. Um, so that was sort of fun to see. He didn't really do anything, but it was fun to see him get – Gets a couple of uh, grapefruit league innings uh, under his belt, but yes, I I haven't really been able to uh, see much. And then the Orioles are the same way, where the minor league facility is not close to the big league stadium. So I have a feeling that the prospects I see will be the ones playing in in the big league games. But you know what? It's still better than snow or no baseball. No, that's true, and I feel bad for you. It sounds like you have some unfortunate scheduling, because I was even my my first day, uh, I think, on my Florida swing, I want to say it was March 10th. It, it's all a blur now. But um, even though that was a couple of days before most teams were playing games, the, the Mets had inner squad. I got to see 
Ronnie Mauricio in action for a couple innings, and uh, the Mets' young shortstop, he's, he, he does look close to that 6'3". I think he's listed 166 pounds, but, uh, you know, just very athletic-looking guy who's going to have a lot of power. It was nice seeing him in action. I had a, a scout with another organization rave about Francisco Alvarez, um, who's the catcher they signed for, I think, $2.7 million last July. He had a chance to be pretty solid across the board. He was interesting. I got to see bouncing around. I got to see no games when I was in Marlins Cap Johnson, but I did get to see Victor Victor Mesa take some live BP as he came back from a, a minor injury. Um, not that you can read too much into live BP. I, I got to see right. Taylor Jones, who's kind of a – well, you know, puts up some of the best home run numbers in the Astros system, but gets lost in the shuffle a little bit because that system's so deep, and he's not even in our top 30. But I got to see him hit two homers in a in a minor league game against the um, against the Marlins, uh, and just kind of bounced all over the place. I didn't get to see any any of Detroit's you know pitchers. I, I got to talk to Casey Mize. I didn't get to see him pitch or Matt Manning or. I got excited when I walked over to a diamond, and F. Perez was on the mound, but it was not Franklin Perez. It was a different Perez. But that said, I did get to see Isaac Paredes hit. I did get to see Daz Cameron hit. I did get to see Willie Castro hit. I got to see Jake Rogers behind the plate. So that was kind of interesting. And and I got to see some Braves inner squad or Braves games against the Pirates. And it was funny, Jonathan. I was there. I had no Pirates rosters. But I looked at his shortstop, and I'm like, oh, that's got to be O'Neill Cruz because you, you don't see too many six-foot-six shortstops. Because he's, eight, he's eight feet tall, right? <laughs> it was O'Neill Cruz. I got to see Drew Waters hit a little bit there. And, and then my last day was in Philly's camp, and, and they did some inner squads, and I got to see Alec Baum in action. And actually, not that he's a big, big-time prospect, but Colby Fitch, who is part of you know, Louisiana, I mean, Louisiana, Louisville always seems to have one catcher after another. Uh, I got to see Colby Fitch throw out two guys, and I want to say he might have picked off a third guy. He was having a really nice day behind the plate for the Phillies, and uh, so that was kind of interesting, uh, you know, bouncing around. Uh, hopefully you will get some uh, some minor league games in before all is said and done. And, and looking at your schedule, Jonathan, I know you said you've got Orioles next, and I know this isn't necessarily order, but I know you've got the Red Sox and Twins in Fort Myers and the Pirates and yep. Rays. Who are you? Who are you hoping to see in action on the backfields if you get that opportunity? Uh, you know, I really want to. I, I want to see, and it was it popped to my mind now because the the Yankees were playing the Rays. So I was talking to some of the the, the Rays media folks. Uh, I am very excited to see uh, Vidal Bruhan play. Yeah. Um, and just uh, because that kind of dynamic speed, you don't you don't see all that often, and. Uh, uh, I was uh, talking to our Rays writer Juan Taribo, and he was saying that um, he's gotten you know a little bit of playing time in, in some big league games early, and uh, and it was just you know it was just exciting. You know, he hit a, a routine ground ball to second base and then and almost beat it out, so uh, created a little bit of buzz there. And uh, so he, he's a guy that you know we've been talking a, a bunch about, and maybe we can use this to sort of. Uh, segue over to some, some injury news because we added him to the top 100 to replace an injured player, but uh, that we've been talking about a lot because he was on the on the cusp of our top 100, ended up not making it, uh, but a really really exciting player. I found out that he is the first player in the history of the Rays to steal 50 bases and score 100 runs in a minor league season. Very nice. So like Carl 
yeah, Carl Crawford never did it. Uh, you know, uh, BJ Upton didn't do it. Like nobody. So uh, I thought it was a nice little, uh, a little tidbit courtesy of broadcaster Neil Neil uh, Solons. Um, so uh, I think he's the guy I'm really looking forward to seeing. I think I'm going to get. Uh, I think I'm going to get lucky in that. Uh, I am uh, going to see Brent Honeywell throw live BP um, on when I'm in Rays camp. So that should be fun. I've heard he's looked good. Uh, you know, he's getting close to being ready to to, to, to start things and uh, to you know to really get going. He and, and Jose De Leon have both been throwing well, and they're you know kind of in the same place uh, with their rehabs from Tommy John surgery. So Rays and- camp. I'm excited about Rays camp. And you didn't even mention, I mean, I, I would think Wander Franco probably would be on their low-class A roster, right? Like, I, I, I haven't you know what? You're, you're ab- You are absolutely right. I think I, I just had Bruhan in my head because I was just <laughs> talking about him. So um, you, you, are, you are correct. I am, I am excited to see. Uh, well, I mean, it's, it's one of the better systems in baseball. So uh, it's going to be good to, uh, to be able to – see anybody on the field it's a pretty deep system up and down so uh i'll have to look at the schedule and see who it is that's at home that day and maybe maybe uh, i'm hoping for your sake jonathan you get the low class a team and high a team at home and and the low class a team i I would think would also have matthew libertor and shane boz on the roster that's an exciting one you know you go to red shane mcclanahan is going to be there somewhere right too Yep, exactly. So, and I was gonna say, yep. you go to Red Sox camp, and and having done the Red Sox list, like like their system is not as deep as it used to be. Although they, you know, Dave Dabrowski did a nice job of turning what used to be baseball's number one farm system into a, a farm system that helped them win a World Series championship. But you had, there, there's so much super young talent there. So if you get the young guys in camp, I mean, you've got Tristan Casas who was their first-round pick last year. You have guys like Antonio Flores and, and Danny Diaz, who are real young international guys are excited about, Jaron Duran and Brandon Hallett and, and Nick Northcutt out of last year's draft. So you, you could see some really interesting young guys in Red Sox camp theoretically too. Yes. Yeah, you're getting me all excited. No, and listen, the Twins camp, Twins camp will be great. Um, you know, Royce Lewis, Royce Alex Lewis, Alex Kirilov, uh, Wander Javier, if, you know, if it's the, low, the lower-level guys, I mean – uh, there's a lot of excitement there, and, and you know, Pirates camp is is always fun. Um, you know, maybe I'll maybe I'll get to see O'Neill Cruz stand out at shortstop. Uh, you can't you know uh, Travis Swaggerty, the first round pick. Um, you know, I, I don't know when some of the other guys will you know, be sent down. I think Cole Tucker just got sent down. Uh, I think Cabrian Hayes, last I checked, was still in big league camp. But either way, it'll uh, you know. It, so I know I should be able to slide over. Uh, I, I, I'm a little crunched for time, uh, just based on the schedule of when we're running our reports. But yep. uh, it should be all good. Yeah, yeah we both were. It's like I was trying to decide, Jonathan, uh, and we won't dwell on this too long. But like, I don't know what would be worse if it's your schedule, where basically your reports are due about five minutes after you get done at an individual camp, or my schedule, where I had like two day two days worth of camps due 
almost every day I was running around and covering a third camp in Florida. So um, it's been a busy March for us. And, and then when yep. this is all done, we'll, we'll jump into the draft. But uh, do you have an opinion? Which, which would you rather have, immediacy or, or, or two-a-days, I guess? Which would be better or worse uh, uh, for you? I think, um, you know what, I, immediacy is fine with, with me. I mean, to me, it's uh, almost sort of like I'm covering spring training. Um, when otherwise, when we have like extra time, it's it's a little weird. It can feel a little disjointed. You know, it's like the reports that I did in Arizona ended up. You know, some of them didn't run for eight nine days, and it was weird to pick it back up. I had to remind myself what I you know what I had talked about with with farm director and the player and things like that. So I, I think immediacy is fine, even if it even if it means I have to sacrifice a little bit in terms of how much game action I can watch on backfields. I was going to say, Dave, we, the point you made about Arizona, my, my Giants report ran today, and you know, we're trying to run them on a lot of days on during the off day for the big league club, for obvious reasons, it's good content for the site. And then when I was writing my Giants a couple of days ago, I realized I'd actually been in their camp three weeks earlier. There, were, there was, I think they'd started play maybe one exhibition at that point. But, uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I definitely know what you mean. I think we're both happy that we're not writing top thirty reports in, uh, any longer while running around spring training, Indeed. which is, which is, is, is never fun. Well, one of the things where we've done a little differently this year is not in every camp because I, I think thirty of them would be a little much. But when we, we, we usually try to go around and. And interview like players. Uh, I often try to get guys who are not in big league camp because I figure our writers are 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 typically covering. You know, like when I was in Mets camp, there was no point in me going to cover Pete Alonso because Anthony Tacoma is all over that. And I think you've kind of taken that approach too. But one of the things we've yep. done a little differently this year is try to get some of these guys to demo various things that they do, whether it's pitchers showing their pitchers or, or hitters showing what they like to do with the, in the cage or or maybe, you know, defensive drills. Um, we don't necessarily need to go into all of them because I think we've probably written ten demos between us now. But, but Jonathan, what were two or three of the guys you've demoed stuff with that, that you've really enjoyed? And, and do you have any demos coming up in your remaining, I think it's four camps that you're covering this week? Yeah, that, that's still sort of uh, to be determined. Um, yeah, O'Neill Cruz demonstrate how he keeps growing. Uh, right, that's <laughs> he'll take me to his stretching rack that he has. Um, uh, I, I'm I'm slated to talk to Dean Kramer in Orioles camp tomorrow, and I may uh, have him show me. But well, I'm I'm going to sort of play that one by ear. I, my my latest one went up uh, today from Blue Jays camp yesterday with Kevin Smith, uh, the infielder at, you know, 2020 year last year, uh, defensive drills. And he was, he was great. It was like a tutorial just in how he talked about, but I have to say that actually all the ones I've done have been good. Um, I've been really pleasantly surprised, but the one that probably surprised me the most, cause I didn't know what was, um, the Rockies first base prospect to, they drafted last year. You know, we're talking about a kid who was a New Hampshire high schooler. Uh, so, you know, even if he had a really loud tool, or you, you would expect some rawness, uh, maybe not uh, that astute of, of knowledge about 
what he wants to do at the plate. But he talked like he was a 10-year veteran or a hitting coach. And so we did a bunch of stuff in the cage, uh, things that he works on. Some of it is just stuff he does regularly. I think, uh, you know, uh, they all do tea work. Uh, one of the things that he started doing, and I'm, I'm sure he's not the only one, is he'll do rounds of high tea, and they'll put it, like, on a, on a stool or something like that because pitchers are pitching more up in the zone now. So to learn how to, to barrel up those pitches, he does that. But the probably sort of the coolest thing is that in the off season, he, he started doing whether it was setting the machine or having if someone was even just doing front toss off to the side to simulate uh, left-handed pitching. Uh, and his numbers – his foots really weren't terrible against left-handed pitching. Uh, he's a left, left-handed hitter, uh, but they were different. And his like his his heat zones, like he hit the ball harder uh, against righties. So you know the Rockies went through all the data with him, and he set out to improve those areas of weakness. And he showed some of the the different drills that he does, and then the sort of uh, angled front toss and and things like that to to help him stay on the ball longer when facing a lefty. That, that was probably my, my favorite one. Yeah, How about I, you? I've enjoyed, I was going to say, I've enjoyed them. I, I have one. The, the ones I, I felt like I had a better feel for what we were doing when I got to Florida for doing these. And the first one ran, I think, toward the end of last week, where I talked to Will Banfield of the Marlins, who, who was probably the best defensive catcher in last year's draft. And even though he's only 18 years old, I mean, he was breaking stuff down, just kind of how he likes to set up at the plate, um, how he likes to um, receive the ball, how, how he gets rid of the ball quickly in the transfer. And, you know, uh, what, what, I, what I like about doing these things, Jonathan, is I think, like, if I was a young player and I saw these, I think it's tremendous because I could learn something. And, you know, like yeah. we have, you know we're shooting video, too, of these guys, you know, showing what they're talking about. And, you know, it was interesting. I mean, I, look, I'm not a catching expert, so this, you know, didn't, you know, wouldn't necessarily have been something that I would have thought. But, like, Banfield was talking about, when, like, he actually tries to receive with his weight a little bit further forward if there's runners on base so he can get rid of the ball more quickly. Um he, he, you know, I asked him about, like, receiving and, and, and framing, like if he does it for different pitches, and he said that, you know, one thing you, you can't really do is you kind of have to keep the glove in the same – you know, he's very wary of not tipping off pitches um, by, by where right. he sets up, so he tries to set up, you know, it, it makes sense in the same spot every time. And, and he said, he did, you know, for him, he doesn't necessarily try to – receive different type of pitches differently. The one thing he does, he tries to be consistent with, he tries to go and get the ball um, so that the ball's not, like, knocking his glove back. And, you know, that way he can kind of receive it uh, more smoothly. And, you know, he was doing some really technical stuff. He was talking about how when the ball starts to come to the plate and he knows he has to make a throw, he collapses his left knee inside a little bit that kind of tilts his body to get, you know, get himself into position to throw a little bit quicker. So I thought that was pretty fascinating. Uh, I have one that should go up, I think, today, where Nolan Gorman was tremendous. He kind of took us through what he works on in the cage. And like you were saying, Levine, he'll go low, middle, high. He'll work the tee. He'll start outer half the plate, then go middle, then go in. And then he, he likes to have, you know, some flips thrown to him. And it was... One thing I asked him about, you know, you, you hear more and more about how there's 
you know, less importance placed on BP, and now it's more T-work and more video work. And he said he actually likes BP more because it feels more like a game, even though they're not necessarily throwing 90 miles an hour or, or, or harder. You know, he likes actually seeing pitches. You know, he, he uses the T-work to kind of loosen up and get ready. And, and his philosophy in the cage is he doesn't really worry about how far he's hitting or how hard he's hitting the ball, but he wants to be back spinning the ball toward the back of the cage. And when he does that, he knows he's kind of locked in. So that was interesting. And I haven't written it yet, but Casey Mize, the number one pick in last year's draft, was tremendous. I had him kind of, you know, he's got, if you want to call it a two-seamer and four-seamer different pitches, he's got five different pitches. And I had Casey Mize kind of broke him down in order and kind of talked about the evolution of him, you know, explaining how he changed his splitter grip. While he was at Auburn, I mean, that splitter might have been the best pitch in last year's draft. And it's interesting, he he has a – his what, what I guess we call his slider is really a cutter. And he, you know, he was saying things like he likes to call it a cutter because that reminds him to throw it harder. Like, it feels more powerful. And he didn't like his – I guess, slower breaking ball. So he came up with what he calls a, a, a slurve. It's kind of a three-quarters breaking ball. And he's into all the, the, the rap soto and all that stuff. I mean, he was, right. you know, working this off season on spin rates and spin accesses. And not that we had the machine out, but he was kind of like showing. I, I think that's going to be really cool if you're a pitcher and you're curious how Casey Mize does what he does to look at that. So I think uh, kudos uh, to, to Jason Ratliff, Jonathan, our our editor, who I think kind of came up with this idea, because it's actually been kind of fun to, to, to break some of this stuff down. And, again, I, I just think if you're a young player, like like if I was a, a, a teenager playing baseball, I, I'd be eating these, these videos up, looking at how guys do things yeah. and, 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 you know, you know, maybe trying to figure out some of this stuff. Cause I, I, and, and kudos to the players, too, because, I mean, the players have all been – I'm sure you found the same thing, John. I mean, the players have all been – you know, more than happy to do this. I mean, Nolan Gorman, you know, we spent 10 minutes with him in a cage, you know, and he was showing various drills. And, I mean, all these guys were very gracious with their time. No, it's been great. Yeah, I did Dalton Barr's show, and he showed me things that he's done to improve his throwing. That was the one uh, area of weakness. Um, so, you know, he, he was really good as well. Um, so, and it's great. And hopefully we'll find, like, a some kind of long-term home for these, you know, uh, a how-to section or, or something like that on the site. Uh, I know that there's been some talk about trying to find a way to, you know, to, to maximize the, the use of them so it's not just, oh, they're up for a couple of days as part of our spring training coverage, and then they, they disappear. Because I do think, I agree with you, that for kids playing baseball, uh, these are, are tutorials uh, on uh, a lot of things. You know, Kevin Smith, Show, was talking to me about how he's had to learn uh, to drop step when he plays when he plays uh, third because when you play shortstop you don't you don't drop step ever you know you're, you're attacking the ball to try to create angle and um, you know he's had to learn so that's what he works on that a lot and uh, you know my son uh, plays third base. So I'm going to make sure he sees that video to help to help him improve uh, as a defensive third base. And so, yeah, there's so much value I think in, and you know, not just in terms of editorial content, but in in terms of helping people out who, who are playing the game at various levels. Yeah, and it's like, and I kind of pitch that. I mean, the minor leaguers are usually very gracious for their time anyway. And I kind of that's how I was kind of pitching it to some of these guys was like, you know, the hope is that young players can watch this, and they all. 
they, they all were very happy to uh, happy to oblige. That's been kind of fun. I mean, I, 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 as usual, we, we talk about this all the time. It's amazing to me, I think just with so much more media attention, how much more practiced mm-hmm. these guys are at doing interviews, um, that they're just so much more polished than the, the typical young players were 10 or 15 years ago. And, and I actually had the distinction that the Nationals told me, Jonathan, that when I interviewed Mason Denenberg because they kind of kept him under wraps last year, you know, didn't have him pitch because he'd had biceps tendonized during the spring before they took him the first round, that, uh, that Mason was actually excited because it was really his first interview since his press conference because he hasn't been anywhere. You know, he wasn't in any minor league games, and so their their PR guy told me that he was actually excited when we came to camp and requested to speak to him because it was good. And it was funny. I, you know, one of my favorite questions is always asking these guys, who's your favorite, or not who's your favorite, who's the best hitter or pitcher you faced and he obviously hadn't played pro ball, but we were talking about the showcase circuit, and he mentioned Nolan Gorman, and uh, I was like, did he did he get you for home run? And Mason just kind of sheepishly grinned. He's like, yeah, he got me at the perfect game All-American Classic, but Mason shouldn't feel bad because a couple days after that, Nolan Gorman homered as an 18-year-old in a big league spring game off a big league pitcher, Kyle Barraclaw, um, and the ball guy, you know, it's – He's going to be so good, Jonathan. I can't believe he lasted 19 picks. I think that's going to look like a mistake in about in, in, in very short order. And he just has unbelievable. He was telling me his reputation precedes him, Jonathan, because his first big league camp game, first game in big league camp in the Grapefruit League, they're playing the Astros. He, he they gave him a pinch hit at bat in the ninth inning. They're losing nine to three, and he comes in. I think it was Cy Snead of the Astros, who will probably be up in Houston at some point this year. So Snyder Sneed's facing an 18-year-old kid, his first spring training league game, and goes curveball, changeup, changeup. Did not throw him a fastball. Um, and, and even the home run he hit off a of bear claw was off a changeup. I mean, it, 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 his power is, is just That's absurd. Incredible. I had a couple yeah. of their coaches pull me aside and just talk about stuff they'd seen Nolan Gorman do that left them in awe a little bit. But it, it's amazing to me, in, in, in big league spring training games, the guy's 18, which, again, makes me feel old. You know, he's the first player ever drafted who was born in the 2000s. And, 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 you know, big league caliber pitchers are not throwing Nolan Gorman a fastball. Now, he struck out a couple times against Max Scherzer, and I didn't have the breakdown of those at-bats, and I'm guessing Max Scherzer probably wasn't afraid well, but... to throw Nolan Gorman a fastball. But it's just interesting that, that, that there's already scouting reports like, you know, be careful, don't test this guy with the heat. Right, right. I mean, I, I, there's no shame in striking out twice against Max Scherzer. Who hasn't? Yeah, a few guys have. So, uh, yeah. there's the yeah. well, you know, it, it, so anyway, it's been fun. I hope you enjoy the rest of your spring training as much as I enjoyed mine. And we have a couple of of news items, and I guess we'd file them under the category of unfortunate news with top 100 prospects getting serious injuries. And, you know, the, the, the first, Dane Dunning had Tommy John surgery. That was announced by the White Sox. Uh, number, he was number 80 on our top 100 prospects list um, when he had that. And it was unfortunate. You know, you just it seems like you – you try to get guys through elbow injuries with rest and rehab, and it almost never works. You know, Dunning had some elbow issues. He strained it last summer. He missed the final two months of the season. They tried the rest and the rehab, and he pitched an instruction league, and they were optimistic. And unfortunately, if he'd had surgery last year, he might have come back at the end of this year or, or certainly during the off season. And now he's going to miss all of 2019 and yep. you know, probably the yep. beginning of 2020. 
any any thoughts on Dane Dunning, Jonathan? I mean, it is Tommy John surgery, so you know, you know, it's not the the end of the world. But it's unfortunate for a guy who was already 24 and might be 26 now before he gets to the big leagues. Yeah, I it, mean, it's a shame because I was in White Sox camp, and at the time, uh, he he was on. Uh, you know, it was just like seven to ten. I think it ended up being maybe closer to two week stretch because he came to spring training after all the rest and rehab that he said, and you know had a like a setback. You know when he was starting to try to throw again. So they were like, all right, well, let's see what happens. Make make sure it's not just because it was the beginning of starting throwing again and it didn't respond, and and then he needed the surgery. It's a it's a shame. He was always kind of one of my favorite, uh, sort of under the radar, slightly. Pitching prospects, obviously, was top 100, not that much under the radar, uh, but uh, you know, one of these guys who was probably un- uh, underappreciated because of the ridiculous Florida Gators pitching staff year in and year out. And uh, I had high hopes for him, and it's not that he can't come back from it, um, but as you pointed out, he's he, he might be 26 by the time he gets to, to the big leagues, but. It's not ancient, but in terms of prospect status, it it certainly doesn't uh, it certainly doesn't help him. And hopefully, you know, it goes it goes smoothly, and he has the normal uh, you know post surgery rehab and and gets back on the mound like a lot of guys have been able to do with Tommy John surgery. But we're gonna have to we're gonna have to wait and and see now for quite some time. And the White Sox just really have not had good luck in terms of keeping their pitching prospects healthy. You know, first Michael Kopech, now Dane Dunning. It was, you know, a, a big strength of, of the rebuild effort. And, um, you know, it's uh, weakens them a, a little bit, obviously. But hopefully a year from now he'll, he'll be back on the mound and, and get himself going again. Yeah, I think where it really hurts the White Sox, not that, I mean, guys can come back from Tommy John surgery, so I'm not so much worried about that. But I think where it really hurts the White Sox is, you know, I think 2020 was a year where they were hoping to kind of turn the corner and maybe, you know, you know, start to have a contending or close to a contender at the big league level, at least making steps towards that. And a lot of that was predicated on, you know, had they not been hurt, you know, Kopech would have gotten, you know, pretty much well, he would have gotten a full year in the big leagues this year. And Dane Dunning probably would have gotten a half a season and they could have gotten acclimated. And now, you know, Kopech, we're going to probably – I, I, you know, it's still early in his his process. I mean, Kopech might be able to throw a little bit in the off season, but he's not necessarily going to be a guy you pencil into the opening day rotation for 2020, and and you can't with Dunning. So that was kind of a shame. A team not relying on this player as much to contend because they already have one of the better teams in the big leagues, but losing a guy for an injury. I don't know if we know the exact timetable yet, but but we're figuring at least a couple months. You know, Esteban Florial, who, who's got some of the the best tools uh, on the top 100, I mean, it's well above average power, speed, arm strength. And it's unfortunate he's going to miss, you know, some time now. He, he broke his wrist running into the into a wall making a catch in spring training. And what really hurts here, Jonathan, is, I mean, here's a guy who, who, who needs at-bats. I mean, there is some swing and miss. You know, he, he did miss two months last year. He had handmade surgery that cost him two months. Yeah. And he did make more contact and draw more walks last year during the regular season than he had in the past. Didn't have a great Arizona Fall League, but, you know, what what he really needed this year was, was 500 at-bats, and it's going to be another partial season. And, and, well, again, I mean, you can come back from a broken wrist. You know, I'm not, you know, this is in no way like the, the you know, a huge blow to his career. 
I do think it is a blow in that he's basically going to get, you know, roughly a season's worth of at-bats between 2018 and 2019. And this is a guy who just needs to play because, I mean, you know, I don't think he'll be a plus hitter, but if he's an average hitter, you could be talking average hitter with, with, with four plus or better other tools. He's a really, yeah. really exciting guy and also a, a great kid. I, I talked to him in the fall league, speaks English exceedingly well, and actually was my translator when I interviewed Louis Roberts. So yep. I hate to see it from a talent standpoint and, and hate to see it just from a, a personality standpoint. I mean, a, a great guy, but that's that's really a shame for him. It's funny, and we had done the. That was his second time in the Arizona Fall League. In the previous fall, we did a whole video feature with him where he cooked for his roommates. Um, and so, yeah, I, I. Who very mindfully has worked on his English um, so that he, you know, could communicate with, with, with people. And, you know, I agree with you, it's, it's really just about development time. Um, he was he is one of those guys who needed the reps to, to work on his approach at the plate and pitch recognition and things like that. And it was encouraging last year, you know, when he was healthy. It looked like he w- was making some improvements there, and then he, he got shut down for, you know, because of the handmade thing. And now he's going to he was having a really good spring. And you know, this is a guy who, if he could stay healthy um, and get on the field and get those reps. You know, he was in double A, wouldn't be that far away from being able to help out if needed. Now they're, you know, they're going to have to wait, and that will set him back. And he's still plenty young enough. And as you said, uh, you know, a, a broken wrist is not, some, you know, something you worry about, and, you know, like a shoulder injury with a pitcher. He's going, he's going to be fine, but he does need to get those at-bats. It, it does make me think that, you know, maybe we'll see him uh, in the Arizona Fall League for a third straight season. Um That's- that would be we'll, fine with me. We'll and, and, and Jonathan, I'll use that as a segue since you not yeah. only are running around Florida, but you also wrote a story today about the Arizona Fall League has some significant changes coming this year. I, I always tell everybody, you know, my two favorite baseball events every year the College World Series, the Arizona Fall League. I know you think very fondly of the AFL as well. Why don't you, you break down, yeah. you know, kind of quickly? What these what these changes will be because it, it won't quite be business as usual this year. No, and it's you know it's business as usual in regards to six teams. Um, still, the basic idea to help guys get ready for the big leagues. Um, you know, the, all the major league teams will send prospects to these six teams, and uh, you know that uh, that stays the same. Uh, the, probably the, the biggest thing is the schedule change, and that uh, they're going to be beginning. Uh, typically the fall used to run from like the second week of October through the third week of November. Um, they've moved that up to start in the middle of September, uh, and it will end in now in, in October, and like late October. The main reason, and this was something that uh, player development staff and general managers had asked for, is that it get very difficult for uh, a minor league player, he has a season. Maybe he goes to instructs, uh, but then he goes home. Uh, or if he doesn't go to instructs, especially if he's an upper-level player, it's, he gets shut down for a few weeks, and then he's got to heat back up to play in the fall league. And granted, it's low; it's, low, it's a low-key league, and you know it's uh, developmental, but it's it's still competition and playing. 
and and by moving the schedule up, it's sort of more in the flow that they, they don't completely get shut down. They can go from their minor league season to the fall league, get their work in, uh, and then be done earlier and have uh, longer of an off season for whatever off season uh, you know d- development plan their organization has for them. So that's the the the, the biggest thing. And then uh, I guess the other the other kind of change is a lifting of restrictions as to what players can go. Um, and there used there were all sorts of different things in terms of you couldn't have that many players from a ball and you couldn't, uh, you couldn't have too many foreign players. Um, and so all those are being restrictions are lifted for, for this year. And then they're going to evaluate to see, uh, what, what they liked, what they didn't like. Um, I think there's some hope. Um, I talked to Bill Bavese, who's going to be the director of the fall league, uh, that it might get some more good pitching, uh, where the whole shutdown heat up thing is more of a concern than for the position players. So uh, we'll we'll see you know we'll see what kind of impact it has in terms of the, the level of play when, when we head out there this fall. Yeah, and one other restriction that's removed too was that I believe anybody who had more than a year of big league service time was not eligible for the fall league. Like that has been lifted as well. And you know it, it's interesting because you know Bill, who's taking over the operations from Steve Cobb, who. I think it run the league since the second year of the league. Bill was out in Arizona for much of last year's AFL season. Um, there was talk that some of the stuff was going to happen. And I remember um, toward the end of the season, for whatever reason, we had a number of pitchers charting games from the press boxes. And, and we would, I would ask guys, like, hey, you know, what do you think about having the earlier season? And all the pitchers I talked to were in favor of this for the reasons you stated, just that it's kind of hard. Like, if your minor league team doesn't make the playoffs, your season ends about September 5th. And then you've got a month to kind of kill where you do some throwing but not too much throwing. Um, and I, I think that the theme with all these changes, and I'm sure there will be others as well, is that Bill is trying to, to make things like what would work best for the teams and the players. That, you know, that, that's the idea of moving the schedule up, as you mentioned, for the pitchers. That's the idea of, hey, let's, let's remove the restrictions for a year and let teams send who they want and see how that plays out. Uh, I know from talking to Bill, he was even asking, like, what could we use from a, a media coverage standpoint? Um, I, I think they may right. make, they may try to make a lot more video available both via their, uh, you know, social media accounts and on the website that, that, you know, we provide a lot of content for. Um, and I think, you know, I, I think these are good things. I mean, Steve did a nice job with the league. I think the biggest difference between him and Bill is, I mean, Bill has, Bill has run farm systems. He's run big league teams. You know, he can look at it from that perspective. And, you know, it's good to consider new ideas. So I, I, my, my, own, my only selfish thing I don't like about this, Jonathan, is I, I, I wonder, because it's in the middle of the regular season and the playoffs of the major leagues, yeah. if we're not going to get our three broadcasts of the Fall Stars game, the championship game, the military appreciation game that you and I are always part of and enjoy doing. Like, so maybe, maybe we won't have TV games this year. But other than that, that that's, that's really – and that's only selfish. The only downside I can see to any of this. Yeah, yeah and I agree. And, and, and uh, we actually talked about that. And he, he Bill Pavese, uh, he agreed. He said the one thing, it makes it a little tougher to market the league because of that, those, those TV games are a great way to market. Uh, you know, the Fall Stars game uh, has become immensely popular. 
a sort of like a mini futures game, just with so much talent on the field at, at one time. And, and he understands that, you know, but his number one priority, and rightfully so, this is a developmental league. And if you want to maximize the, the impact that the league can have, and it's already had a huge impact, all you have to do is look at the list of alumni who have gone on to tremendous big league careers uh, to, to see that, you know, making changes to, to maybe even make it better and more streamlined is, is not, a, not a bad thing. And uh, you're right, they, they, they're already thinking about um, they're already thinking about ways of sort of marketing the league through social media more. Uh, you mentioned the video. I think it's a really good idea. Um, you know, hopefully that uh, there will be other opportunities to not do games on the network, but, you know, sort of find fun ways to, to broadcast or market the games in, in other ways. So we'll see what happens. Um, you know, for us, in terms of the, the coverage that we provide outside the TV games, it's not going to change much. We're, we're still going to love going to the Fall League, whether it's, uh, you know, in, in September or, or November. I guess the, the other big thing is that it's just going to be really hot. Um, the weather won't have broken yet. It usually breaks, uh, you know, a couple weeks into the Fall League and turns into beautiful weather. So it, it's going to be warm when we're out there. Bring your sunscreen. Uh, I will. I will definitely do that. Well, Johnson, this has been a a little unusual podcast for us. Uh, I'm in the host role. You're in a car. Jordan's running around. But I, I think we covered a lot. Uh, I think anybody listening to this can uh, hopefully we conveyed how much we've enjoyed running around spring training, talking to players, and seeing players. And uh, you know, it, you know, that's a great great opportunity. If, if fans get it, I actually got a chance to talk to a bunch of fans about prospects while I was down the fall because that was kind of fun. Um, and then the fall league, neither you nor I can recommend that enough. Uh, you know, if you love prospects, there's a lot to love about the Arizona fall league. But uh, anyway, thanks to everybody for listening. I'm Jim Callis. You know, for me and Jonathan Mayo, thanks uh, for listening to another edition of this MLB Pipeline podcast, and we'll be back next week. Thank you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.